Welcome back to another episode of the podcast, From the Depths of Darkness to the Light of Success. I am your host, Chris Swick, and on this podcast, I talk about mental health, addictions, ADHD, eating disorders, and really anything anyone's afraid to talk about today, we talk about it on the show. We make people afraid to not talk about these things. But before we get started here, I believe everyone's story is valuable at the end of the day. doesn't matter what walk of life you come from. You're all welcome on this platform. Can you head over to that YouTube channel, hit that subscribe button, turn on the notifications, head over to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you listen to your podcast, hit that follow or subscribe button over there as well. And hit me up over on Instagram at Depths of Dark Side. With no further ado, I'd love to introduce you to my next guest. I got Derek Didell from the Colorado area of the United States. You want to take it away and let them know a little bit about you? Yeah, of course. Thanks, Chris. My name is Derek, obviously Dital. I'm a native of Colorado. I've grown up here. Right now in my life, I work in recovery, sober livings. I'm a recovery coach, helping other uh, recovering addicts walk their journey in life. And I work in a residential treatment. I myself am a recovering addict. I'm over two years sober. I've been through trauma. I've been through addiction. I've been through a lot of mental health and got the help I needed. And here I stand today, a living testimony to what getting help and opening up can do. That's amazing, man. It's it's amazing to see what you're able to do when you put your mind to something and admit that we're powerless over something and just to see how far we can actually go with it then when we're willing to listen to someone else other than the, the, the guy upstairs <laughs> sometimes. Right? That spin cycle that uh, just tells you you're not good enough, the shame thoughts, the guilt. And that, that started when I was a kid. And I, I Again, and when I talk about my family and how I grew up, stuff like that, like my family did the best they could and I love them so much, but my parents went through so much that they brought onto my life and uh, I just never knew what it was like to tell myself I love myself and those thoughts of shame and never telling my family that I love them. We just beat each other up sarcastically. We were so competitive and we thought that was normal. We didn't know what it is to look at each other and say, I love you. It was more like. Hey, quit being a puss and get up and try again type stuff. Did that go on for a long time with your family then? It still goes on to this day, Chris. Like my father and my brothers and my sister, and I consider my mother, we all, we're all struggling. We all struggle with addict addiction and mental health issues. My dad just now got out of rehab and he's going on 60 days sober at 62, struggling with drugs and alcohol. I was the worst of the worst, but that started when I was a kid. My life became so unmanageable when I was five years old. And again, the things I talk about in my life, I'm not here to put my family down. I just understand the struggle. My mom struggled to be faithful. My dad was an alcoholic and they didn't know how to have a relationship, but they took great care of us as children. But I saw these actions and growing up a Catholic and going to church, like my mom asked me to keep these secrets and I loved her and I didn't want to tell my dad and hurt him. So I just grew up with these lies. I grew up with practicing manipulation. I grew up practicing shame. I didn't know what a healthy weight relationship was. So I watched my family just act around this and act like everything was okay. And we just used sarcasm and we use competitive and we use these things to say that's how we showed we loved each other. And we still struggle with that today. If I had to say anything at 38 years old, I'm finally breaking the chains of that. For the first time in my life, I can look in the mirror and tell myself I love myself, which has taken me 36 years, 37 years to get there. And it's nothing wrong with starting today. At least you're starting, you're breaking that cycle, breaking that chain in your family too. Yeah. And kudos to your father too, at 62 years old. It's never, you're never too old to 
get into recovery or get sober. I, I, I know that for a fact. It took me many years as well, around the same age as you, but it was just in and out of the rooms since my early 20s. And finally, I just got, I had enough of being sick and tired of being sick and tired. Right. You just get beat up. Yeah. And it, it was a cool experience to give my dad a hug two weeks ago. And he's crying and telling me he's sorry. And like for the first time in my life, I got to tell my dad that I loved him. And there was no shame and guilt behind what he was doing. I was just so proud of him for taking another stab at this because I couldn't imagine at 62 trying to pick up my life and trying to figure out what's missing. And I hope he gets it. I hope whatever he's going to do is going to work. But it was a cool experience to hug him and not be like, what the F, Dad? Come on, get your craft together here. Like, why aren't you? And it was just cool to say, I love you, Dad. You don't have to say sorry. I'm just so proud of you that you're doing this. So that's amazing, man. So it's it is. amazing to see these things happen in recovery. Just that full circle. That's something me and my dad, and I still call him Mike half the time out of habit. Just, yes, sir. That's something we could never do is, I think the only time I ever heard him really say I love you is when I graduated from high school and at my grandma's funeral. And I just realized that it wasn't my dad's fault. He just never was taught how to tell people he loved them. He never taught was taught. And one of the biggest gifts I've been given in recovery is being able to tell another man I love them. Being able to be vulnerable and open and honest with how I feel has become one of my greatest strengths because when I've went from rehabs to trouble with the law to homeless for years to years in prison and the law just kept telling me, You're, you got to change, you got to change. I was like, I don't know how to change. I don't know how to stop this. Like I was never this horrible person, but I started to believe that was my life. That since I was five, I deserve this for lying to God or whatever you want to say. Cause I honestly thought I was going to help as a kid being a Catholic and that's hard. And the experiences I've been through that to think that I'm still alive today with the social anxiety disorders from all the other disorders from, and I'm totally off medication today, but just from prison and the, the trauma I've realized. I didn't use because yes, it made me feel good and it took me outside myself, but I never knew I had trauma until a couple of years ago. I didn't know I had PTSD. I didn't know I needed the help to walk myself through these things so I could just live a normal life. And people think of that as men, as a weakness. You're not supposed to have trauma. Like you can handle this. You're a man, get up. Like we, we bury that and it's caused me to just walk through life through this disappointment of, I remember when I came out of prison for the first time and I met my daughter for the first time and I'm holding her in a McDonald's and you think I'd be elated or joyful, um, just so happy. I was miserable. I, I, I wanted my first thought was I need to drink. I don't, no one taught me how to be a father. I, I, I went to prison and here I am and now I'm a dad. And I wanted to, that's, I don't beat myself up for that, but you think of that moment and you just think about that spin cycle we started with. You start, I'm just a piece of shit again. I'm no good. I can't do this. And that's the reasons I use is because the narrative I've played in my head my whole life have been such a negative and dark place. It's never been anything good. And I feel you there too, about the negative and dark places and until I got clean and sober too, I feel you. Like it was, I didn't even know I had all these underlying issues until I got cleaned up, man, because I just kept burying these with booze and drugs 
and didn't want to deal with any of my other issues that I was had going on. There was lots of trauma there and I knew there was, but I had shoved it so far down that it was like on the bottom of the list to deal with. The top of the list was let's get high every day. But until I removed drugs and alcohol from my life, that's when the stuff started really coming up and you had to really feel your feelings. And I want you to know too, man, it's okay to cry. Like I made a, you know, a post a reel the other day about men. It's okay for men to cry. You know, enough of this. It's, you know, it's not okay for men to cry shit. I'm sick of everyone saying that because yeah. we're all allowed to cry. It doesn't matter if we're white, black, yellow. I'm not trying to be racist here. Nothing, man. I'm being serious at gay, lesbian, whatever it is, man. We're, we're all equal. I, I did a live on that a, a month and a half ago. And I said, man, I'm tired of us men thinking we have to be tough. I've never felt more powerful and more strength in my life when I've let that thought of me being emotional and vulnerable as a weakness. Some of my best healing and most uncomfortable moments into growth was when I just allowed myself to feel how I feel. And I used to use the anger to be a secondary emotion to how I felt. And when I let go of the anger and I said, you know what? I'm just sad. I'm just disappointed. That really hurt. And the biggest thing for me was actually doing it in front of other men, intensive outpatient and the 12 steps of recovery. And my sponsor who for the first time in my life, like the guy that I, I went to the sober living house at the Akron house, his name is Lex and he's my sponsor to this day. I, I remember I, I handed him ounces of drugs, alcohol, and in my head, I'm thinking, okay, this is it. I'm going back to prison for the rest of my life. I'm done. No one's, and this man showed me grace. And he goes, you know what, Derek, give me a hug. I love you. And let's find another way. And that grace and him showing that vulnerability and crying with me right there is, was the huge step to me understanding that I could finally heal, that someone saw something different in me that I just didn't see yet. And I got this shirt on. I don't know if you know about free spiritual community. I think you've done an interview with Ryan candidate before. I remember I came into this place and I would be so high on meth, but I wanted to stop and I didn't know how to stop, but they never shamed me. They never showed me the door. And that was such a new experience for me because my whole life I've been beat up for being messed up about something I didn't understand. So it was a cool experience one of this. And that's why I always have one of these shirts on because I'm still a part of that community and stuff, but. I, I, that live about, I was like, man, if you want to heal, if you want to have the biggest strengths in your life, it's time to let go of being tough and just let your emotions, it is okay to feel what you feel and feelings aren't facts. Yes, but they're still your feelings and we're allowed to feel those. And that was such a huge relief for me because the first day I got into IOP, my, my guys, Hey, I need you to look in the mirror and tell me three things you love about yourself. And I told this guy to go fudge himself. <laughs> But he made me do it anyways, and I couldn't look at myself. I looked at the ground, I said three measly things, and I left IOP. And it's a cool feeling today to look in the mirror and go, look, you may not be the best, but you're darn good enough. I love you. You're beautiful. You're kind. You're compassionate. And this is a guy that was an ex-convict, an addict, a homeless. People told me he was no good. And, and now I'm changing lives with this story. Like our stories are so powerful. When it's out of your hands and when it's a good thing, because it's such a strength, people need to hear that you can come from trauma, prison, homeless, divorce, abuse, stuff like that. And it, it can be a source of good later down the road because people need to hear that's not their identity. That's not who they are, that there's so much more.
especially for men. It's so true, man. Whatever you did in your past and stuff, that doesn't define who you are today. Not at all. It does not define the man you are today, the woman you are today at all. I truly wholeheartedly stand behind that because what I was like 10 years ago, it was not Chris today. And if someone wants to judge me, so be it, man. That means that they still haven't healed yet either. If, you know, they're scared to talk to someone that's been through the things I've been through, the things you've been through. That just means that they have some insecurities that they need to work through too. And that's okay. Yeah. And, and that's just all part of the process. Like when, it, like when you said that once the substance was gone, like I thought, okay, once I get sober, I'm going to be good. I guess what I found, I was a controlling, manipulative, lying, shameful, uh, sarcastic. No one wanted to be around me. And that wasn't who I was. That was just every mask and every uh, different trait that I built to protect myself. Because when I wasn't using or drinking, I had to use these things in order to try and fit in. I had to use these things to protect because I could, I didn't want you to see really what was going on here. I wanted you to believe that I was okay. It's cool today to look at that process. And I, I tell people when I'm peer coaching in early recovery, I was like, look, you got all the time. If you can have practice and patience, because it, it didn't take me three months, six months. It took me about a year and a half before some of this stuff sticks. Now it takes 21 days to create a habit and 60 days for it to become a character trait. But for this thing to heal from drugs and alcohol, it takes at least a year and a half. And at two years sober, I still have those days where I'll be like, I can't do this. I'm not enough. And one of the biggest tools that's ever helped me is I pick up the phone and I have another man tell me who I am. Derek, you're kind, you're loving, look at who you're helping. Get out of your head. Those are lies. And they are lies. But when you're isolated and alone and you're spending time in this, those lies become so real in our head. They become so powerful that we truly believe that we are these POSs that aren't worth saving, you know? I love, I love that man, for sure. It's all about picking up the phone, everyone as well. Like Derek just said, like you have phone numbers for a reason, use them. I have this chat with other men all the time or other people all the time that are in no to recovery. You had those numbers, you should have just used that. And it is what it is, but lots of the time they don't use those numbers. Use those numbers though. That's why we want, we go out and get those. That's why you're told to go out and get numbers. <laughs> other like-minded individuals, whether they're in the rooms or outside the rooms, there's so many different people, so many different avenues of recovery. It's not just in a 12 step room too. There, it's not a one size fits all recovery. And I have many people inside, outside of the rooms that are in recovery too. And it's amazing just to see the beautiful community that you can build yourself or build around yourself if, if you find the right people. Yeah. Like one of the biggest things I tell my clients is, and anybody I work with sponsoring or whatnot, I was, I was like, the opposite of addiction is connection. And anything, the opposite of anything that you're struggling with is usually connection. Like the number one way to heal is in a group setting because we're not made to be separate. And I feel like that's one thing in our, our society and everything. It separates us from Facebook to Instagram, to all these things to isolate us. And the biggest, that, that was like what I said earlier, like the hugest thing I ever has walking into 12 steps rooms and people are like, can you get honest, open and willing? And like you said, there's so many different ways to recovery. They got Dharma recovery. They got IOP, they got rehab. There's meditate. There's so many ways uh, to find your path in that. I was spiritually broken, so I needed a spiritual fix. My internals were just so broken and that's why I use, but like I take my clients out to have fun. I let them know that this is hard work. Yes. And you're taking steps of uncomfortable change, 
but I promise you, your life's going to get better. I promise you the things that you thought you couldn't have fun doing anymore become so much brighter. And, and it's cool to be a light. And that's, I love the name of your show, Depths of the Dark Side, from the light to the dark or the dark to the light. It, it's because we were made to be lights. I read this affirmation every day and it, it's, who are you, who are you to be beautiful, gorgeous, fabulous, and talented? And that's a question we ask ourselves in native way, but it's who are you not to be? You are a light and by not shrinking and like spreading your light, you allow other people to spread their light. They can see it, that something in you. And that's how I'm allowed to go in the dark now because I help people. I find because the darkness can't survive in the light, period. So when I walk back with stone, I'm there. It's my shine so bright because this is for you too. And it's so cool to give back that I am a miracle in that sense, because I should be dead or I should have a life in prison with where I was at with the stabbings and the abuse and the assaults and guns point. I, someone had a different plan for me. Let's put it that way. I believe in God. God's got a way different plan for me. And it's everything that I've been through is now has not been wasted. So I hope people that are going through this, hear this and understand that their stories and their path to this, if they're brave enough and have the courage to walk through fear and talk about this stuff, you're going to help one person a day. If you're just open about it, I'm so open about where I've been and stuff because I don't know who needs to hear it, but someone needed the same hope that I was given. And some of us are just the brightest lights that have been through this stuff and that suffering wasn't waste, and I won't waste it. I, I plan on sharing this till the day I die because I'll never know who was in that same spot I was and needed to hear that there was hope, that there was a chance and you just had to take a step and I'll walk with you any way I can. It's just cool. I love that, man, for sure. That's it's amazing that you'll walk with us. I, I like to do the same thing too, man. So I commend you for doing that, man. What things affect your mental wellness today, Derek? Like in a healthy way, or are you talking about in a, a past? Uh, L round way sort of thing. What are some things that if you let them get to you would affect your mental wellness, oh. healthy way, negative way? So like I, I check my wellness and recovery period. There's five five pillars to my chair, as I call it. And I go with mental, physical, emotional, spiritual, and related. The two things in my life right now that I still struggle with that affect my mental health. One is the narrative in my head. I'm still working on that sometimes. There could be a time where I see something I want and I'm envious or I'm jealous and I don't trust and I start spinning. And like the tool we talked about before, no matter how crazy my thoughts are, I try to talk about it. But this has been my deadliest weapon because I've spent my whole life be building, beating it up or a negative narrative. The second thing is relational. I feel like that's the hardest part in recovery is I can handle myself now and I'm in a good spot and I take care of my life and I do the things and I'm kind. But when you add another person, because there's so much codependency and enmeshment and stuff that happen in mental health and addiction. That I have to check myself because I remember again, I can't control people. I'm not here to push people. I'm not here to put expectations on it. I can set boundaries and be healthy, but relationships, especially intimate ones are probably one of the hardest things for men to deal with. I'm a Mr. Fix it. I see a problem and what's the problem? Tell me how you fix it. I'm going to fix it. And I've learned the hard way in my life that sometimes I just need to live. So I really try to practice and I've been going to Alan on, I try to practice healthy relationships uh, because I want those in my life. I can't do this alone. I'll never be alone. It's about a we thing. 
but I also have to be able to build healthy relationships. So how do you do that? Um, to this day, today I, I got in a place of resentment because I thought I deserved something and I cut this person off for five minutes. I'm going to block you, forget you. And those are the things that were unhealthy. Instead of doing that, I said, Hey man, you, you said something that really upset me. Can we have a conversation about it? And it's cool because I could never do that before. I'd either burn you with the bridge on it and see you later, or I'd make sure you knew how much you just hurt me. And who wants to live that way? And it's cool just the two years that I've seen myself. And I'm a big guy and I can be intimidating and people are always like, oh, I'm the biggest, most loving, kind, caring teddy bear ever. And it's cool to handle relationships now where I can hear people. I can shut up and listen. Those are probably the two biggest things in my life right now that really mess me up is my own thoughts. What am I questioning? Am I enough? And then relationships, because it's not just dealing with me. And, and I like that you say that though, too, about blocking someone. Actually, I just had an incident re recently too. My, I let my insecurities get me <laughs> with someone's comment on Facebook and I took it to a whole new level. And then I got called out on my bullshit by my fiance. I have no problem saying it too. Someone had mentioned it was something to do with a house and they were talking about crackheads and I went off about how insensitive <laughs> they were on them yeah. and this and that. And don't you have, you know, any compassion and this and that. And this person's, pr lo and behold, you know, we ended up chatting not too long ago too, sending DMs and stuff like that. But she said, Chris, before we even continue tonight, you're going to apologize to that person because I was, I let my insecurities get, take over and didn't even think before I said what I said to them. So I apologized publicly right back on Facebook and they were happy. And, and actually, so lo and behold, we got chatting about people in their family have actually died or whatever. And that's, if I would have read into it more and actually read through the whole thread, I would have seen that's not actually what she was talking about. She was just basically saying <laughs> that this house looks like a crack house and this and that. But I didn't really read. I just reacted instead of yeah. the time to read. So, you know, <laughs> and those are the things that I let my insecurities get the best of me. And that's with social media and stuff. That can be a trigger because I, I well, they're called cognitive distortions. And I've got them like, I'm a pro at these. God, I'm so good at knowing what you think without even talking about it or talking to you. It's like, exactly. So this is another thing I really try to work on. Cause I'll be like, well, that, that guy thinks, I bet you he thinks I'm really doing this wrong and I'm a jerk. And, and then my day is totally messed up without even saying a word or having a conversation or talking about it because I, I just believe what I was going to think in my head. And, and I, I know people go through this daily. I work with people and I can just see it and I'm like, Hey, that's not true about you. Okay. Like you, you need to talk about what goes on up here. So you can start realigning and practicing new phrases. That's where the biggest thing is my routine and reason. I stuck to my routine and I had no clue it was working until a year and a half, but I needed to rewire this, you know, that psychic change they talk about in 12 steps. I believe that's what it's doing. I think your brain needs to heal for one. You're allowing someone else to step in your life and take the wheel. But at the same time, like you're practicing new patterns. So your brain knows it's like not to live that way. And that just takes time, man. It, it takes putting yourself in the right situations, the right people, and just continually asking for help. I remember I walked around my sober living for months in early recovery. My sponsor was like, when you feel like you want to drink or you're having a crazy thought, just say it out loud. So there was a few weeks where I was like, I want to drink. Okay. F everybody, forget you. And it was so powerful. 
just to release that instead of letting it. Yeah. That's the two things I probably struggle with most, but like I said, like a good practice with spiritual, emotional, mental, physically, and relationally, if you're taking time to practice those five things daily, checking in, you can sit in your chair comfortably, but if you're slacking off physically, how are you going to sit in your chair? You're going to be leaning one way. You're going to be relying on this. So I try to teach my clients, like it's okay for self-care. It's okay to tell yourself you love yourself. I know we're in a 12 step program. You're supposed to be selfless, but how are you supposed to love anybody if you don't love yourself? So make sure you take the time to have some self-care, enjoy your life, have some fun, tell yourself you love yourself. Do the things you want to do because when you spend time with someone else, those things are going to show. If your cup's not full, you're not going to fill anyone else's cup. So you got to have self-care in life. You got to be able to take the time to do what you need to do for you. And there's nothing selfish about that. That's probably the most unselfish thing you could do when it comes to helping people living in this world, I feel. Very good points, man. Very good points for sure. You know, and then I... You have to always have your cup, you know, full or overflowing in order to be able to give to others. I love that you pointed that out as well, man. What are you most nervous about in the future and how can you prepare for it? <laughs> That's funny you say that because on May 1st, because I've ran, ran and, and managed the sober living I'm in for over two years now. And I've had this strong community around brothers and I've learned how to love, love each other. For the first time in my life on May 1st, yes, at 38 years old. Because I always ended up using a woman or something like I needed my mom to help me. I'm moving out on my own. What, it, what does life look like when you um, are paying your own bills? What does life look like when you take that step that is so uncomfortable and everything in me wants to retreat and ask everyone to take care of me? But I've done the work. It's like anyone that's taking, like it's coming up in recovery and it's taking a risk. I, yes, it, every time you go through a change in life, it's going to be uncomfortable when it but that's how you know it's good. So you need to take up to the plate, come up to plate, take a sweep. And that's probably scary, man, to think for the first time in my life, I'm going to pay my own bills. I'm going to have my own home to come to. I have a good recovery. I have a good recut. Like that spin cycle in my head is once again, attacking me to where I can't do this. You don't have a strong enough program. You don't have this. And it makes me want to retreat. Hey, you know what, Lex, I, we're going to open some more sober livings. I'll help you run them. I'll just live in sober living. And we're not made to be that way. It's, we're always made to expand and grow in this. And there's so much more I have to give, but that's just such a scary feeling to take that next step. And I've been doing that the last two years. It's always, what's that next step of faith look like? Uh, and it always goes back to who you connect to, who are you letting in on this to help you walk with it? Because again, you can't do this well. And that first word in 12 step recovery is we, for a reason, uh, we do this together. So it's, it feels good not to be alone, but that's really scary to think that it's time to spread my wings and live life. And, and it's going to be an amazing journey for you, man. You know, life is not a destination. It's a journey. <laughs> right. Uh, it, it's already been that, man. Like this two years of going through recovery, I wouldn't trade it for anything I've been through. And I won't give up anything in my past because something like this, where I share my story or I talk about it, someone's going to hear this. And it's going to, a light bulb goes off. Like everything that I thought was wrong with me in my eyes, God has it now. And it's a strength and it's hard to think that assaults in prison and me being an ex-violent convict and homeless would ever be a strength. I lived in a tent for nine months of my life outside Lakewood police station in a Belmore park, like a hundred yards away. And I just wanted to die and the alcohol wouldn't take me. And I wasn't strong enough to put a gun in my mouth. 
but someone needs to go, wow, I've been right there. And this guy's telling me that somehow, some way he was all these identities and now he's a recovering, beautiful man and he's helping people. I, that's a cool story. I don't care who you are and I'm not bragging, but there's so many cool stories out there that people, I want to encourage them to step up and share because you never know who your story is going to connect with. And it can be so true, man. You never know our story, the story we share tonight on the show, today on the show, whatever. As long as it helps one person, man, we've done our job. If you touch one person's life, I know it's going to touch many more, but one person's life, you've done your job here, man. On to the next, man. If you, you know, it's, it's like when you're leaving a sober living house, you're just going to climb up the mountain. And when you get to the top of that mountain, it's on to the next mountain. Don't stop there. That's just it. Instead of thinking what the good is, like now with the house owner I'm with now, we're opening more sober livings and he wants me to run and manage those. I mean, what a full circle. When I first came into this house, he had no clue what to do with me. My psychosis was so bad. I thought people were chasing me. Trees are taking off. The feds are after me. He wanted to put me in a mental, but he decided to give me grace and that full circle. Now he's hired me and he's having me peer coach in his houses and he wants me to help him open new homes so we can get the help out there for other people. That gives me chills right now. If you're out there listening to this, you can do this too. Again, I'm an ex-convict, I was homeless, I'm an addict, and now I'm opening sober livings. I walk other people through their lives and teach them how to live in recovery. And I'm trusted at a residential treatment center where there's all kinds of meds and everything else. I'm an ex-violent felon. And you can have this same hope too. You can have this same miracle too. And I speak that because I am that miracle. And I don't care what you've gone through. Shame never fixed anything. You find the right people with grace, love, and compassion and let them walk with you and watch the changes happen and just have the courage to take another step through the fire. That's amazing, man. I commend you. I'm, I congratulate you. I, if we could walk together, I'm just another, a few states, few provinces, <laughs> whatever. I, one day we will, man, you know, I it's hope just so. amazing to hear your story today. To where you come from, living outside a police station in a tent, doing prison time, and the list goes on, man. Uh, But when do you feel your happiest now? Oh, man, there's nothing that's more exciting because I'm such a person of joy, kindness, and love. But I'm, I'm really good at speaking. I'm really good on loving on people. There's nothing that gets me more excited than when I see a light go off in someone else's um, eyes. And it could be just from a hug. It could be just from my telling them I love them. But seeing someone else maybe get that motivation or that, oh, that light bulb moment and you could feel it. They're like, oh, wait a second. You said what? We, I don't have to live this way. Like you tell me there's hope. Yeah, that's why I spend all my days working with people in recovery because there's hope. And you, you just get that slight moment where someone goes, oh my God, I can do this. And then they're setting goals and then they're writing financial plans and then they're dream boarding and you see this motivation and guess what? They might relapse. They might go back to reuse. And I always tell them, I say, look, you're imperfect. You cannot do this perfect and failure. I'm going to take that out of the vocabulary. Relapse is a stepping stone. We miss something. Let's pick you up. Let's take another step. Let's find out what we missed, but you are not a failure. That take that out of your vocabulary because you can't be perfect. And I always tell them as look, you're here right now. 
So that tells me you're batting a thousand. You're getting another chance at this. So I, I always let them know, I'm like, look, I'm not here to beat you up about it. I relapsed my whole life. I needed every one of those. And I understand there's, there's consequences. There's things that could happen. But again, shame never fixed anything. The word failure never fixed anything. I don't even talk about the reuse. I pick them up and I say, hey, what's the next thing we need to do? How can I love and support you? And when I see them melt back into their chair, go, oh my God, is this guy showing me grace and compassion that I'd never known? It's a cool feeling because that's what got me there. Were people willing to see who I was beneath everything that I had built around and they loved me for the man that they saw when I wasn't even close to becoming that. It's really nice just to, whether it's walking into a treatment center and this 12 step rooms, whatever it is, and just feeling that love around you <laughs> or even today, like I've been pulled over several times in, in recovery and I don't have that anxious feeling when I'm getting pulled over in the back of my mind, I'm concocting stories on why I should run because maybe they're after me for something <laughs> I did five, four months ago. That probably never even caught me. You know what I mean? Just different things, but I don't have to create all these crazy stories in my head anymore. If I get pulled over for a minor speeding ticket or yeah. whatever it is, or even just talking like I'm even friends today with some police officers and stuff. So it's just amazing. <laughs> like I'm friends with the mayor of my city, like just different things like that, that I would have never thought would have happened. If right, I wasn't in recovery though. I've had some bad experience with cops. The reason I like, and I'll be honest with you, I don't have any reason to hide it. Like I went to prison because of second degree assault on cops. Now the situation is what it is. I got tased eight, 10 times. It was not a fun experience. And I always blame them. Like yeah, F them. You look at me and they handled the situation the way they thought was best. And I, I went to it and like recently we had an ex cop in our home who had been through trauma, had been stabbed and shot. And if it was early in my recovery, I'd be like, I got to get out of this house. Like this guy's going to bring me in. Like he's probably Pete. And that change in me to see him as another human being, just struggling with life. And this was his path. I mean, him cried. Me and him had conversations where I was like, man, it's okay. And like, when we shared our stories, he started laughing and we connected over something that should tear us apart. And that was such a cool thing that it brought us together. Hey man, I, I want to get to know you. I understand that this thing's beating you up and it was cool to be there for a man that normally I would judge. It was cool to be there for a man that normally I'd say, F you, I don't want anything to do with you because you're a POS. I'm going to, I'm going to link you in with these guys. And I've recently wrote a letter and I've apologized to Lakewood police for that incident, but it was a cool experience to sit with that guy and not judge him and just understand that he needed just that same grace. He just needed someone to listen and understand exactly because his base problem like mine was PTSD and trauma. And I got to talk to him about going to trauma therapy for the past year, how much that's changed my life, right? I don't sit in the corner of the shower, just shaking, you know, I can shower, I can look in the mirror. I can drive in my car, like you said, without thinking that people are after me, like told me you can heal from this and, and there's steps to take. It's just going to take time. And I will walk with you. I'll love on you through this. And two years ago, I would have judged that guy and told him to go F himself because I would have lumped him in with a group of people and not seen what he was truly struggling with. And that's amazing to see. And I have slowly gotten better at that as well, man. Not, you know, trying to be non-judgmental. Try to not be a hypocrite. You know, those different <laughs> things. You got to walk the walk and not just talk the talk. You got to do both today. 
And then recently I had someone to reach out another female in recovery and, but she had a male reach out and what she said, like, I'm, I don't even live in the same province anymore. I live across the country. Now I'm going to connect you with two guys that I trust. And she started a group chat up and talked to us and I reached out to this guy. He didn't like it cause he knew who had told me, but I didn't care because he needed some help now with the things that he was saying. It was either do or die at this point. I've known this gentleman a long time, but I was just like, dude, how's it going? Let's meet for a coffee. Oh, who told you? Told you. They must have told you. I says, you know what? Yeah, they did because they care about <laughs> you. And when they don't want, they could see that you're struggling and the words you're using, you're reaching out for help in a roundabout way, man. And she can't really help you from across the country right now. So that's why she put you in touch, man. <laughs> but he, he didn't like it, but he did like it afterwards. He accepted afterwards. Let's go for a coffee oh, we, sort of thing. But it, it took yeah, a little bit of time, have, but we never like it when it happens. Like, yeah, I wasn't ready to stop when I came here, but it, like you said, it's cool to go out. And I don't even think twice about that. When someone calls and is like, Hey, I need to go to, I need help. I need to go to detox back in my old life. I'd be like, you better figure that out. Cause I got shit to do. <laughs> I'll get time for you. <laughs> I'd be the same way too. I probably need to go to detox, but it's it. Now it's just like, okay, man, where can I meet you? And this is one, two in the morning sometimes. And I never think twice now because I look back at my life and I think of the people that were willing to give me that same effort. Who am I not to give that effort back? Who am I not to just, whether I get you to detox and you walk out tomorrow and drink again. Who's to say that one act of kindness didn't spark something in your thought process that people truly, that something I said that night or something I did because I got out of bed and I put on my sweatpants as I cussed and did it. And I went there and I gave you a hug. I told you, I love you. And I sat four hours in an emergency room, making sure you got the help you needed. That's the stuff that stuck with me in early recovery. I was like, why is this guy, my house owner sitting with me? Why does he keep giving me chances? And I, I started wanting to know more. Like, how do you have 12 years sober? W what's your story? And why are you loving on me this way? And I come to find out that there was people like me, that I wasn't alone. And there was another way to do this. And there was many ways to do it. I could have picked hundreds of ways to get sober. And my path was just 12 steps, God, IOP, trauma, I guess all of it, <laughs> mental health. But I took the help finally. <laughs> Because of the, because of those acts of kindness. Exactly. Just, you know, put your hand out and let's go, man. That, right. You know, that's sometimes just what it takes. Sometimes they don't want to latch on at the end of the day, they have to want to do it, or you have to want to do it. It's got to be something for you. You can't force someone to do it at the end of the day. But once I was willing to give up and finally admit that Chris had a problem, fuck, life <laughs> started changing right away, man. I just remember my acceptance, my, Derek, he goes, go ahead, go ahead. No, I just, my, I remember my sponsor saying, Derek, you're not that unique. Okay. Can you just swallow your pride and ask for help? And I remember thinking about that. I was like, dude, has this been the problem this whole time? It's not everybody else. So go ahead. You're going to talk about acceptance, which is a huge, huge thing. Cause that's, yeah, I was going to say to accept <laughs> acceptance, belief, and change. How have the ABCs of recovery really helped you, man? What did you say? Acceptance, belief, and change. How have the a ABCs of recovery really helped you? Obviously in that first step, the principle is honesty. Could I get honest that I needed help? 
and then my life is unmanageable. Again, like I've told you early on, my life is unmanageable at five. My first addiction was sports, and that rode me through college. So acceptance, belief, and change. And acceptance, I import page 417 of the big books of Alcoholic Anonymous talks about acceptance. And that that's the one cool, like one true thing to us getting better. Can we accept things that God has them the way they're supposed to be right now, always and whatnot? that there's nothing you do. And like, when you can have acceptance in your heart, you start to surrender because you start letting go of the things that you have no control over. And it's cool that you talk about belief because in the big book, they, they like to quote the Bible sometimes, whatever, but the faith without works is dead. That third step was about faith. And for me, it was belief and the faith came next. So like, I finally clicked that I, if I just believe this might work, forget God. He ain't going to fix this. He, he messed my life up. You guys are telling me he's going to fix me and whatever. I, I'll believe in the guy that's telling me that this worked for him. But that belief um, turned into this faith that I was giving and somehow it busted into action. And it's amazing how powerful our thoughts are, how powerful belief is. Because once I started to believe that this might work, the change happened. And that, I, I can't tell you, like unloading the fourth and fifth step and walking through those steps, it got good to me, but that belief was the key. I, I accepted that I was broken and I still have acceptance and surrender daily, but my belief system changed to where life could be good. I believe life is about joy. I believe life is good. I believe that God is good. I believe that people are good. And once I changed my beliefs from all that opposite stuff, the change just started to happen. And I wanted it to happen because it got good to me. Happy, joyous, and free is that model. That's what God wants for us. And it all started with me changing how I believe that to be. Nice. It, it definitely about acceptance for myself as well. Learning to accept the things that I cannot change. I'm willing to you know, change the things I can't. So. <laughs> And just those little mantras and stuff like that through the 12 step program and all those other little things that I've heard through life, man, they stick with me. I really, truly appreciate you coming on the show today, Derek, man, and sharing your story of experience, strength, and hope. It was amazing to hear so many different avenues that you'd come from and to see where you are today, working in a sober living house, other guys wanting you to run sober living houses, coming from the depths of your own darknesses and, you know, seeing the light now. It's amazing, man. And I truly wish you all the best before we go. Where can everyone find you if they'd like to reach out to you on social media? Hey, if you want to reach out to me on Facebook, it's, my name's Derek Dydle. I'm the only one on there because my last name's so special, but it's D-E-R-I-C-K. D-E-I-D-E-L on Facebook. I do a lot of lives there. I do a lot of stuff about recovery, but on Instagram, it's ddidle 77 Yeah, check me out. Reach out. If you're struggling or you hear this and you just need someone to talk to or you need resources, let's say you want to find a rehab, that's what I do for work. I'm more than happy to talk to you. And if you have any questions for me of how this happened or what wouldn't happen or you want to know different avenues of recovery or maybe you just need to talk, I'll always take the time to pick you up, build you up, let you know you're enough because you are worth it and you're worth my time. So definitely reach out to me and let's get connected. I would love to talk to anyone that would like to talk to me. So well, thank you again for coming on the show, man. And if there's one thing I could take away from today's show, man, it's just about helping one another, lift one another up, man, be there for one another, put, open, put, extend your hand out to help that next person into recovery or 
give them that act of kindness, man. But thank you again for coming on the show today, Derek. And thank you for having me, Chris. It was an awesome experience. I really appreciate it. So reach a hand out, man. You never know what it could do if you just reach your hand out to pick someone up. It can change someone's life, even just a hello. So thanks, brother. Thank I really you. appreciate it. I'm sending you much love. Yeah, I hope and you I have a great day, man. Awesome. Thank Take you. Care, man.